The number one thing that you can do through menopause and beyond to feel good and have your hormones be healthy is to manage stress. All right, everyone, welcome to Heal Thyself. Your attention, your presence uh, is so much appreciated. Thank you for all of it. And look, today's show is going to be one of them that you really, really, really need to not only listen to, but share. We're going to focus on hormones and breast cancer. And every year I do a breast cancer show. I update the statistics and also update any new learnings or new findings, my new experiences with it. Today I have Dr. Casey Greigel. She's a naturopathic doctor and a hormone expert, but she's also a breast cancer survivor. And she's dedicated her work, her life, her business to really sharing with women and some men how to overcome breast cancer. And on top of that, how to prevent it. Now, we're not saying anything's foolproof, but you got to line up the ducks, especially if you have a family history of breast cancer. You got to line up those ducks early on. It's never, never too early. So really important. This show is going to be pivotal if you have a family history of breast cancer, if you're worried about breast cancer, if you have hormonal disruption, estrogen, progesterone, testosterone, cortisol, whatever it is. And really, if you just want to optimize and thrive your overall health. You'd be shocked. And when I go over these statistics about how many women are diagnosed and die from breast cancer. So it would behoove all of us to really start making the moves for our loved ones. Share this with every woman in your life, every sister, every cousin, every mom, every aunt, and yourself. If you're a female, very, very important show for you. So without further ado, let's really get to this top-notch, super, get your notes out, Get your pen, get your notepad, and take these notes and start putting these recommendations into your life. Let's get to it. So breast cancer, as you know, I have a, a one degree uh, separation from it, from my mom being diagnosed with breast cancer when I was younger. And uh, the diagnosis of breast cancer is something that was my first experience with it. Now, I want you to think about immediately. Do you have a first degree relative, a sister or a mom who's been diagnosed? Or maybe a cousin? Or I then think about if you know any woman ever in your life who's been diagnosed with breast cancer. Most people listening know someone in some way who's been diagnosed with breast cancer. Are they survivors or did they pass away? These are important questions we need to ask ourselves. Now, my first experience was with my mom, really. I, I knew my aunt had it and my grandmother, but my real first into the world of cancer and breast cancer was with my mom. And after pursuing and going into oncology and doing my residency, that's when I was really shell-shocked because I started seeing patients who were 21 with breast cancer, 24 with breast cancer, 30 with breast cancer, even people my age at the time, 32, with breast cancer. And I was under the impression that most of breast cancer was coming postmenopausally, at least in my firsthand experience. But immediately you see the difference. And I'll never forget, this one girl always, always, always was at the top of my head. She stayed with me. And this was at the beginning of 2016. And I had this patient. She, was, she had a two-year-old and she had a newborn, like 
two months old, a two-year-old and a two-month-old. And she was 21 years old and she was just diagnosed with stage four triple negative breast cancer, aggressive. And she ended up dying in six months. I remember getting the email and seeing like, these are the people who, uh, who were within the hospital have passed away and she was on the list and that really shocked me because that was, it was so tragic, right? She was a new mom. She has a, a one-month-old, a six-month-old when she died. And to think, wow, she's not the only person in their 20s who've had breast cancer. So it's so important for us to listen. So we're going to go over some of the statistics, um, some of the things that we're seeing overall so you understand what's going on. And then going to give you some recommendations. What do we know in the evidence? And then what do we know that is not yet in the evidence, but we're having inklings of that this is really, really important. Okay, so breast cancer is the most common cancer in women, regardless of race or ethnicity. And as per the CDC, in the year of 2020, there was 239,612 new breast cancers reported in females. 42,273 females died from breast cancer. From 2016 to 2020, about two in three female breast cancer cases were diagnosed at the localized stage. Okay, this means that the cancer hasn't spread outside the breast. It is local to one area. This has about a 98% five-year survival. In about one in four female breast cancers, those were found to be at the regional stage. This means the cancer has spread to the nearby lymph nodes or a nearby tissue or a nearby organ. This has an 86% five-year survival rate. And about 6% of the cancers that were found were found at a distant stage. That means the cancer has gone through either the circulatory system or the lymphatic system and is spread to different parts of the body. This has about a 32% five-year survival rate. Now, one in three of all new female cancers are going to be breast cancer. And there are more than 3.8 million women with a history of breast cancer in the United States right now. This includes women currently being treated and women who have finished treatment. The average risk of breast cancer is going to be one in eight. The incidence rates of breast cancer have increased about half a percent per year, but the death rates have decreased since the late 80s. You know, skincare isn't just about looking good, right? A lot of us want to look good, but it's not just about looking good. It's about nurturing your skin and being well-balanced from the inside out. And, you know, this world is flooded with a bunch of harsh chemicals that are really insulting our skin, our barrier. And you want something truly effective that is safe. Alitura is one of the best in the game. If you never heard of Alitura, you just think of, you might've seen some uh, black bottles with gold writing on it. It's one of the best. And they're always at health events and people are loving them. And their quality Alitura Naturals has crafted a serum that is not only safe, but also incredibly effective. Listen, a lot of you ask me where I get my glow from. This is a huge part of the equation. Their gold serum isn't just another skincare product. It's a testament to the power of natural healing and a commitment to holistic health. It uses organic ingredients like jojoba, olive, rosehip oils, and the gold serum is made organically with plant-derived vitamin A, not synthetic stuff, not that nasty stuff that you're getting in a lot of these over-the-counter products. GHKCU and marine collagen to revitalize your skin. Alitura Naturals has been using the best ingredients in their products for years. They've been pioneering the path for what truly transformed skin should be. 
So if you're ready to take control of your skin health and experience the pinnacle of natural beauty, I highly recommend checking out Alaturia Naturals. For a limited time, you, the Heal Thyself listener, will enjoy the exclusive discount, just the Heal Thyself discount, only for you. That's 20% off of this gold serum. Go to alitura.com and use the code DRG for 20% off. That's A-L-I-T-U-R-A.com and get that 20% discount. It's amazing stuff. I use it every night before bed and I'm telling you, I'm on fire with my skin in a good way. Check it out. All right, let's face it. With all the toxins we're exposed to nowadays with processed foods, pollutants, and even stress, our poor livers have been working overtime. If you've been feeling sluggish, bloated, or just overall rundown, it may be time to give your hardworking liver some extra love and support. That is where Organifi's Liver Detox comes in. This convenient little capsule contains a powerhouse blend of clinically studied superfoods. This convenient little capsule contains a powerhouse blend of clinically studied superfood ingredients specifically designed to remove excess toxins and improve digestion, promote healthier energy levels, and just overall liver health. Now, one of the key ingredients is artichoke leaf extract, which has been clinically proven to help detoxify the liver and digestive tract. Then you got the all-star liver protector. You heard of it, milk thistle, an herb that has been used for centuries to give your liver a big old hug. That's not all. Organifi's liver detox also contains dandelion root, one of my favorite ones of all time, which is loaded with vitamins and minerals to promote healthy liver function and digestion. And finally, Trafalia, an ancient Ayurvedic formula packed with antioxidants that has been traditionally used as a powerful liver tonic, one of my favorite ones too. So whether you're dealing with sluggish digestion, low energy, or just want to give your body's main detox engine a little extra love, Organifi's Liver Detox has you are back. Just take one to three capsules at any point during the day to start supporting your liver's natural detox pathways. All of us need to be supporting our liver. If you want to experience the energy boosting, liver supporting effects of this fantastic formula, head to OrganifiShop.com and use the code DRG for 20% off. That is O-R-G-A-N-I-F-I shop.com slash DRG. The American Cancer Society estimates for breast cancer in the United States in 2023 that about 297,790 new cases of invasive breast cancer will be diagnosed in women and 55,720 of the new cases are DCIS. This is ductal carcinoma in situ. You remember I just spoke about hasn't left the breast tissue. And this is important to understand because there is some controversy behind it, right? This is the precancer. These are the abnormal cells that they find on mammals and they're in the lobules of the breast. They're confined there. This is technically called stage zero. And the progression to becoming cancer is highly variable. And I say controversial because there's some doctors in disagreement that, no, we should actually wait to see from stage zero before anything happens, before we even treat it with chemotherapy or radiation. But there's the risk of that stage zero progressing to cancer. But remember, I said it's highly variable. So a lot of people ask, should I be doing a mammo then? And I'm not here to tell you not to do a mammo. I think mammos uh, have a lot of benefit. In fact, uh, they detect cancer. They're very sensitive at detecting cancer. The issue with mammos is over time. One mammo is not going to expose you with this dose of radiation that it's going to cause cancer. But what happens is if you start doing mammos at 30 years old and you go all the way to 70, 75 years old and you're still getting mammos every single year, um, the cumulative exposure to radiation can start becoming significant. So it's something to think about, but it's also something to talk about with your doctor. I would never 
never recommend not getting a mammal. It's believed that 20 to 30% of stage zero, right, the, the abnormal cells become cancer. And if there's no treatment, it can even be higher. So I say that because if you are to stage zero, I think it's a good idea to have multiple conversations with multiple oncologists to get a good idea. About 43,700 women will die from breast cancer. That begs the question, when it comes to genes, how big of a role do genes have in breast cancer? Well, if you have a first degree relative, like a mom or a sister who's had breast cancer, you're 50% more likely to have it yourself. We talk about the BRCA2 gene, right? And it's incriminated in approximately 20% of hereditary breast cancers. So it's good to get that checked. I wouldn't say it's good to go as far as getting both your breasts removed. I think that there's other things that can be done and talked about that Angelina Jolie surgery was, um, for me, very extreme. Um, but it's, again, you have to talk to multiple oncologists, talk to an integrative one, talk to a traditional one, see the spectrum of what you're going to learn. Because a lot of the time when you're diagnosed with cancer, you're already put straight into the system and oftentimes you don't have a moment to think. And before you know it, you're laying on a table and getting radiation burning and chemotherapy bags when you're sitting in a chair and feeling like crap. You really have to make an informed decision. Now, one copy of the BRCA2, if you have it, can have a 30 to 40% lifetime risk of development. And it can even be higher for some people. The effect of the genes are most likely confounded by multiple things. But nothing short of the most important one being epigenetics. So this is why I said it's kind of extreme to get a double mastectomy like Angelina Jolie did when we're not thinking about the role of epigenetics. And when it comes to cancer overall, epigenetics is more important than genetics. About 5 to 10% of cancers in general are going to come from a genetic nature. Now remember, if you have a first-degree relative your risk is much higher genetically, but there's a major role in your epigenetics. This is why it's so important. So remember, 80, 85, even 90% of it is what's going on outside of your genes, right? Your environment, the stress, the food, the exercise, the alcohol, all of these things that I'm going to talk about in a minute. Most breast cancers are not hereditary. I'm going to repeat that. Most breast cancers are not hereditary. They're not coming from genetics. Now, your risk factor increases with age. You can see the graph of the diagnosis of breast cancer, and it goes about from 20 years old to 25, and you go the increments of five years. And, but once you're at 70, 65, 70, 75, 80, it just it goes really high. So it's pretty low before the age of 30, and then it increases linearly till about 80, and right around 80, it then plateaus. But I want you to think about this epigenetic aspect again. Generally speaking, the population in Japan is much healthier than us, much healthier than Americans. They have a healthier diet, they have a healthier lifestyle, they have healthier connection to nature, healthier connection to community systems, all the things that we sort of are trying to do now. Japan's got a lot of it figured out, and they have a high amount of, I think, I think it's at Osaka, high amount of centenarians there, meaning people over 100. They did a study, and they showed that it only took one to two generations from a seemingly low-risk population, people from Japan, 
let's say, uh, I think it was uh, a family that moved from Japan or, or a few women that moved from Japan that they followed, and they transplanted to Hawaii, which had American ideals, American way of life. And it only took one to two generations before the rates of cancer matched the rates of the host country. That means it only takes a generation or two generations until you come from a healthy community that has a low cancer risk to come to America, which has a higher cancer risk. It's pretty crazy. What else is really a important risk factor? Alcohol intake. We have to think about that. I've done a few shows on alcohol and we know that uh, every single drink of alcohol is cumulative. It, it accumulates and increases your risk factor. No amount of alcohol is safe. We thought you can just drink a low amount of alcohol and it's fine, particularly for the brain, particularly for your hormones. Those two are important. Now, if we think about hormones being disrupted by alcohol, then we think about hormonally driven cancers, which are cancers like ovarian cancer and cancers like breast cancer. This is why it's important to understand the role of your hormones. And we're going to have our guest in, Casey, and she's going to talk about, Dr. Casey, she's going to talk about how to balance your hormones. And it's very important because breast cancer is driven so much by estrogen disruption. Body mass index, which isn't the best measure to go by, but in the research, we see that a 34% increase and risk of death from breast cancer comes when you have a body mass index over 30, especially waist circumference being a big indicator. Hormonal replacement therapy, exogenous synthetic hormones, we see that it increases your risk of cancer for five years and then it falls. Radiation may play a role. Uh, getting your period early is important to understand. If you had a period, if you got your period earlier than the population, than your friends, it's something to think about. Because when you are exposed to your hormones elevating at such high levels, um, over time, once a month, but for a few years, I mean, for many years, actually, until menopause, then there's an increased risk factor. Also, if you're over 35 and pregnant, another risk factor for breast cancer. One important recommendation I like to make when I was working in cancer and seeing so many breast cancer patients is picking a day. You have to pick a day from the month to check your breast. You have to learn how to have a relationship with your breasts and under your arms and to check for any abnormalities. Now understand your breast tissue is going to change. It's variable, especially around your period. But you also have to be very clear about what changes are when and if month to month you find a nodule that's not moving. If it's fixed, if it's hard, if it's growing, it's something that you really need to pay attention to. And it can happen at any age breast cancer, 20, 30, or 40 years old. Now, you heard my recommendation on mammograms. I do think women should get mammograms, but also you can complement them with something called a thermogram. Thermography is important because it may show early on where there is a risk for cancer in the body. So you want to combine both, and it's really powerful, especially if you have a first-degree relative with breast cancer. No surprise here, smoking like alcohol, very important. There's a increased risk. It's not as high as you think, but there is an increased risk for breast cancer. You want to make sure you are working out. You want to make sure you're building the most amount of muscle. Fitness, being fit is one of the most important factors at preventing breast cancer. When you have a poor amount of skeletal muscle and a high amount of fat, what you're doing is increasing the amount of extra gonadal bioavailable estrogens. You're increasing your estrogen. With this elevated amount of estrogen, remember I told you a huge risk factor for breast cancer. 
And it's also associated with high amounts of insulin, another risk factor for breast cancer. Increasing the amount of IGF-1, another increase for breast cancer. So you have to understand, one of the most powerful things that we can do to prevent breast cancer is just get fit. Increasing your amount of skeletal muscle, reducing the amount of fat is going to go a very long way. Now you want to do both aerobic and anaerobic. You want to do muscle building and making sure you're doing cardio. And we see multiple randomized controlled trials showing the importance of exercise on insulin, immunity, hormones, inflammation. We see data with that on breast cancer. And you want to have an elevated intensity of working out. You don't want to do super moderate, low level. You want to make sure you're building and challenging your body with that hormetic stress. If you're worried about breast cancer, you might want to do a Dutch test. A Dutch test is a really powerful test because it shows you your estrogen metabolism. Remember I said estrogen is a driver of breast cancer. You want to make sure you're checking for, in particular, 4-hydroxyestrone. That is a downstream breakdown product of estrogen. And when you see that in a level above 11% of your broken down estrogen, then it's cause for concern. You want to make sure you're bringing that down and you can retest through interventions that I'm going to talk about shortly. If you're worried about breast cancer, one of the most important interventions you can make is removing xenoestrogens. These are chemicals found in plastics. We want to make sure that we're avoiding those because they mimic estrogen in the body. Remember what I said about clearing excess estrogen in the body. That carcinogenic form of estrogen can cause DNA damage. If you're being exposed to BPA, that is a driver of hormonally driven cancers. You want to make sure you're removing Plastic bottles, canned foods, dental sealants, unfiltered water, thermal paper. Those are the things that are acting like xenoestrogens and binding to the estrogen receptor. And not only binding to the estrogen receptor in various tissues of the body, but also blocking and binding other important healthy hormones. But you'll also find those xenoestrogens in cosmetics, makeup, synthetic fragrances, materials in your home that are off-gassing, cleaning supplies. Hormone disruptors are found everywhere. So you want to make sure you're doing the necessary things to start phasing them out of your life. In the research, the most protective diets against breast cancer were the plant-based diets, Mediterranean diets, right? Reducing processed foods, increasing the colors of the rainbow, reducing insulin resistance, getting away from that pro-inflammatory carcinogenic state. You want to make sure that you're eating the variety of all the colors of the rainbow. When you look at the research, this is the research that is most important at reducing your risk for breast cancer. Forget about the trendy diets out there. This is what we see. On the topic of insulin resistance, we want to make sure we're eating with our circadian rhythms. There was a study from Hong Kong that showed that breast cancer increased by 50% in over 1,500 subjects if the food consumed was after 10 p.m. at least once a week for more than a year versus those that didn't eat like that. Why? Because it's disrupting your cortisol, your melatonin, and your insulin. You want to make sure, you want to make sure that you're eating with the circadian rhythm. You don't want to eat too late. Also, that brings me into fasting. The rule of thumb, especially when it comes to breast cancer, is fasting about 13 hours or more. That means you can do it intermittently. Make sure your last meal is, let's say, at 7 o'clock, and then your first meal is at eight, nine o'clock. That doesn't mean fast the whole morning. When women were fasting under 13 hours, the increased risk of dying from breast cancer was increased by 21%. So can fasting help prevent breast cancer? There is some evidence that fasting or reducing the blood sugar intermittently 
is going to be beneficial at reducing the risk for breast cancer. In the women with breast cancer, when there was fasting under 13 hours, there was a 21% increased risk of dying from breast cancer. And after 13 hours, every two hour fast lowered HbA1c, that is overall blood glucose levels over a few months. And as we know, in metabolic disruption, elevated blood glucose is going to be a high risk factor for any cancer, especially breast cancer. One of my favorite foods to put you in the best place of preventing breast cancer is cruciferous vegetables. These are sulfur-rich foods which support liver metabolism of estrogen, breaking down that hormone, and it gives signals for detoxification in the body. Indole-3-carbinol is found in these foods and it stimulates the detoxification enzymes and thus promotes our hormone breakdown. Now, how do you eat cruciferous vegetables like kale, broccoli, cauliflower, Brussels sprouts? Well, the best is to eat it raw. Now, most of us can't eat it raw. I can't. I for sure can't. So as a hack, what you can do is cook it. What you do is cook it, you steam it for about six, seven minutes, just break it down a little bit. You don't want to put it directly into boiling water. You want to steam it and you want to make sure you're replenishing. You're replenishing it with mustard seed powder. Now, this is an old hack that I've been talking about for a long time, but it goes a long way. When you replenish it with mustard seed powder after you steamed it, you're replenishing the enzyme that is producing that indole-3-carbinol because about 50% of it is going to be gone in the process of cooking within six minutes anyway. So one of my favorite hacks is adding mustard seed powder to already cooked cruciferous vegetables. One of the strongest cruciferous vegetables you can have out there, the most powerful one overall, is broccoli sprouts. You want to reduce added sugar, preservatives, refined carbohydrates, trans or saturated fats. You want to go for organic food, of course. Now, a lot of people ask, is tofu going to give you cancer? Is it going to disrupt your hormones? The answer is no. It's actually protective to the human body. We have to understand that the soy isoflavones are protective in breast cancer. It reduced breast cancer, especially in postmenopausal women. We see this having a protective effect in Asian populations. What happens is the way that soy works in the body is that it binds to estrogen receptors, but doesn't have an estrogenic effect. It's a phytoestrogen. What it's doing is it's binding to the estrogen receptor and blocking and protecting the cell from xenoestrogens binding to the hormone receptor, like BPA, like we see in pesticides, like we see in a lot of these chemicals that we're inundated with. So in fact, soy in itself as a phytoestrogen is protective against hormone disruption, not causing it. You gotta make sure you're pooping. If you're worried about breast cancer, you have to think about how often you are moving your bowels. What happens is bioacids conjugate those hormones. They wrap them up in a bow and you poop them out. But if you're not pooping, that bow gets unwrapped and that estrogen is reliberated into the body. It can cause a major issue over time, especially. You got to make sure your bowels are on point if you're worried about breast cancer. And this happens because of microbes in the strobilome. The gut bacteria that is capable of metabolizing estrogen, they produce an enzyme in your gut called beta-glucuronidase. This breaks down or deconjugates estrogen into its active form, and that recirculates right back in the body. So when the gut microbiome is healthy, this collection of bacteria produces a balanced amount of this enzyme. When it's dysbiotic, and there's a lot of constipation, this enzyme activity 
may actually be altered and begin recirculating that unhealthy amount of estrogen into the body later down the line, putting you at risk for estrogenic forms of breast cancer. You want to make sure you're eating fiber, reducing amount of inflammation in the body, turmeric, resveratrol, quercetin, genistein, EGCG, selenium, DIM. Those are all supplements. Talk to your doctor that are really powerful, making sure you're getting green tea in the body. As I mentioned, EGCG is so powerful. It inhibits the tumor processes and proliferation, protects your DNA, reduces angiogenesis. That means the blood supply going to the tumor. It's an antioxidant in the body. You want to make sure you're getting a good amount of sleep, if you're getting poor sleep, it's increasing your risk for cancer. If you're getting under seven hours, you're increasing your risk. Under four hours is a major increased risk. Moving with nature, moving with your, your circadian rhythms, you want to make sure you're sleeping in pitch black because melatonin and cortisol are important. They are antagonistic hormones. Your cortisol is down, your melatonin's up and vice versa. Melatonin is protective against cancer, especially breast cancer. Melatonin is disrupted by irregular sleep rhythms, fluorescent light, night shift work. We know that it's a, it might be a pro, it's a probable carcinogen if you're working in a night shift. Israeli studies show that women who sleep longer reduce the risk of breast cancer and they close their shutters. They reduce the risk of being exposed to artificial light, strong illumination. You want to make sure you're sleeping in pitch black. Vitamin D is so important as a protective uh, intervention for breast cancer. If you have a vitamin D level of 60 and above, you have an 82% lower incidence of breast cancer versus those who have under 20. You want to make sure you have connection to nature, connection to other people. Community plays a major role. You want to have a sense of purpose that's less studied, but very important. Magnesium is very important for methylation or metabolism of estrogen in the body. Magnesium plays a major role, one of the most important supplements for hormonal balance. 50 to 75% of us don't even get enough magnesium. B vitamins very important, especially B2, B6, and B12. You need that to break down estrogen, especially in phase one and phase two. For proper just estrogen metabolism, hormone metabolism, you need a good amount and a robust amount of B vitamins in your diet and or through supplementation. Other things that we need to talk about is just oral contraceptives. There's some observational studies that show that there's an increase when you're taking it, but it drops down about 10 years after. So you want to be very much so aware that if you have a history of oral contraceptives, your risk of breast cancer can increase for about 10 years. Gut health, you want to make sure you're detoxing, making sure your gut is good, you're pooping, as I mentioned, every single day, removing the toxins from your home, increasing uh, your awareness of air quality, air purifiers, getting clean couches, clean beds. These are things, don't get too overwhelmed now, that happen over time, but you don't want to understate the importance of making sure the air is clean in your house the off-gassing of chemicals and mold. Mold, mold, mold. This is something that's being studied more and more and its implication in breast cancer. I actually think part of the cup that was being full for my mom comes from uh, mold that we had. I think that uh, when we had the uh, water pipe break downstairs uh, when I was younger and uh, we didn't know about remediation that way, it actually increased the health issues in the household. Uh, my brother getting pneumonia, my mom a few years later getting breast cancer. I started developing psoriasis after and skin issues. So uh, mold plays a major role, major, major role. And I want you to think about it. And I really want you to get your home remediated or checked if you worry or if you have a risk of breast cancer. And lastly, the emotional component. There's so many theories behind the emotions driven and that drive breast cancer. 
Um, nothing concrete yet. I don't believe anything will ever be concrete because it's two different forms of studying, the energetics and the physical manifestation. In my experience, what I see is that women who carry shame around sexuality, um, anger against father, father wound is a major one, um, repression of uh, or womb, something with the womb, whether it's an anger or sadness held in the womb, whether it's an abortion, a rape, a molestation, even a surgery, when there's things carried in the womb, oftentimes I'm seeing a lot of women manifest that with breast cancer. These are my findings. You take that with a grain of salt. But understand that emotions are a major, major, major part of cancer. The two things that people don't talk about are environmental toxins and emotions. I talked about environmental toxins for many years. Now I'm talking about emotions. The two of the major causes and, and, and factors for cancer are there. Two things we don't know enough about. And I really want you to know that yes, repressed emotions do drive your state of stress, your hormone disruption, your immune suppression, and then ultimately the manifestation of cancer. Amongst other things, it's multifactorial. There's many things, but do not overlook emotions. You have to look at your emotions. Upon diagnosis needs to be the number one thing you need to think about while getting treated. So I really hope that helped. Dr. Casey's segment is coming up now. She is one of the top experts in our field in hormone balancing. She's going to teach you how to balance your hormones, what are the most important things you need to do. And then ultimately, she's going to talk about her breast cancer interventions. This is the Breast Cancer Show. We're doing our best to prevent anything long-term. Take these recommendations, bring them to heart, write them on a whiteboard, stick them on your bathroom, stick them in your kitchen, stick them in your room, wherever you need to remind yourself. It's been a long time since I promoted a coffee because there's not that many good coffee brands. We got one of the best ones now on Heal Thyself. Are you ready to elevate your coffee game? And experience to prove that it's not only delicious, but it's also health focused. Let me introduce you to Purity Coffee. You heard me review them in one of my first ever coffee reviews as one of the best, and then my second ever one as one of the best. And it's one of the best still. It's an ultimate choice for coffee lovers who, who prioritize taste as well as well being. I'm gonna tell you what makes Purity Coffee stand out from the crowd. Every step in their process is rooted in health focused principles backed by solid scientific research based rigorous testing. They use the finest specialty-grade organic Arabica beans and then move on to small batch roasting, ensuring that each cup meets the highest standards of quality. But what really sets Purity Coffee apart from all the other coffee brands is their dedication, is my favorite, is their dedication to purity and safety. Their beans undergo third-party testing to ensure they're free of pesticides, toxins, and harmful mycotoxins, those pesky substances that can wreak havoc on your health, causing issues like liver and kidney damage, digestive problems, brain fog, and fatigue. Purity Coffee also has some of the highest antioxidant capacity. And this is important because we have to understand coffee is actually really good for us when we're getting quality coffee. And the reason it's good for us and ensures so many benefits, especially heart health, is because of its antioxidant capacity. Purity has one of the highest antioxidants that you're going to find in coffee, giving you a powerful dose of healthy boosting compounds with every sip. Purity Coffee is grown on regenerative organic farms that prioritize soil health, animal welfare, and community well-being. They have certifications by USDA Organic, Rainforest Alliance, and Smithsonian Bird Friendly. You can also trust Purity Coffee is not only good for you, but also good for the planet. They have a range of roasts from their light medium roast with sweet fruity notes and their dark roast with rich bold taste. So to try out one of my favorite coffees in existence and one that I recommend to everyone still to this day, I've been doing it for years, is Purity Coffee. Go to puritycoffee.com and use the code DRG for 30% off of your first purchase. That is P-U-R-I-T-Y-C-O-F-F-E-E. 
com and use the code DRG for 30% off of your order. You know, living a long life is great. It is. We all want to live longer. But what's even better is living those years in good health, right? Free of the chronic diseases and the ailments. Unfortunately for many, the gap between lifespan and health span is way too wide. And we spent our last years ill, not enjoying our life to the fullest. And that's why I'm always into research-based products, quality supplements that are coming out to you, the highest, the best of the best, some of the best rigorously tested supplements. And one of my favorite companies across the board is Momentus. And they have two that I use every single day, creatine and collagen. These are the two powerhouses at work. I've been open that I've been working out more four times a week. I'm lifting heavy weights. And these are staples. And, I, and not just me. I think everyone should be out working out, building muscle. Staples to muscle repair and muscle growth. But what sets Momentus apart from the rest is its clinically researched formulas. For the collagen, it delivers 15 grams of collagen, supporting your body in various ways. And it's not just one type of collagen, it's all the types of collagen, right? A lot of companies just have one type of collagen. You want all the types of your body's absorbing and utilizing this collagen the way you desire the body to use it. But boy, oh boy, the gold standard for working out, if you're not on this, you don't even have to be working out. You can use it for your brain. It's creatine. Momentous creatine is fantastic. There's no fillers, no additive, pure, effective ingredients you can trust. Trust is everything when it comes to supplements. Momentous third-party test. There's no surprises. What you see on the package is what you get. So if you're like me, you want to feel your body with the best of the best, go to livemomentous.com and use the code DRG for 15% off of creatine and collagen and all their top-notch products. That is L-I-V-E-M-O-M-E-N-T-O-U-S.com with the code DRG for your discount. Look, it is one of my favorite times, my favorite podcast segments when I have a fellow naturopathic doctor on the show. It warms my heart because I know how hard we work. I know how much we care about people. We care about medicine. We care about holistic approaches. And guess what? I got a hormone specialist on the show. So many of you have been saying, hey, we need to talk more about hormones. I want to talk about how to balance my hormones, what's disrupting my hormones. I got Dr. Casey and I heard her at our yearly conference last year and I was like, ooh, we got to get her on the show. And we finally got her on. Welcome to the show, Dr. Casey. Thank you so much. This is great. Happy to be here. Yes. Okay. So right off the get-go, this is something we were talking about off air, but right off the get-go. Is being in a stressful fight or flight state the number one disruptor of our hormones? Absolutely. Um, I actually have a sort of a hormone health masterclass that I teach, and that is kind of the one thing that I like my women to take home with them is that the number one thing that you can do through menopause and beyond to feel good and have your hormones be healthy is to manage stress. And and when we think about fight or flight, and we were talking about the nervous system, we're going to get into that. What exactly is happening when we are in a state of feeling unsafe, feeling so threatened? What's the signal happening in our body to our hormones? Yeah, so you make um, a couple of, you make several things that kind of modify the physical response to that stress. And historically for us, that feeling of unsafe, you know, what that means is that we have to escape from danger. And so our brain modifies that in the sense that what it does is we make a whole, our brain tells our body to make hormones that do basically three things. They tell us to think fast and for our heart to beat fast and for us to run fast so we can escape that danger. Now, stress doesn't look like that. We're not being chased by tigers anymore, but stress still works the same way in our body. So when we make those hormones that tell us to think, run, 
heartbeat. We have to feed the brain and the heart and the muscles. And so when we make that adrenaline, we also make a hormone that's called cortisol. And cortisol is this hormone that mobilizes sugar from storage. And it takes, and, and what it does is it, it takes that sugar so you can feed your brain and your heart and your muscles so you can, again, climb that tree and get away from that tiger. And as we're activated, I mean, it's so beautiful how anciently wise this system is in our body for survival, yeah. right? We have to survive, mm-hmm. right? Procreate. It's 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 going downstream and affecting cortisol. And I want to talk a little bit about cortisol. First of all, we have a pretty wise audience. So they heard of cortisol many, many times. Yeah. They heard of cortisol in the morning, cortisol at night. But right. when it comes to cortisol and our, and our hormones, what is the tie-in between how cortisol is affecting our hormones? Yeah, great question. So cortisol is a hormone. And ultimately, all of our hormones are, are regulated by our brain. Our brain tells those organs to make your hormones. And what we see with most of our hormones is they have what's called a negative feedback loop. And that loop is very similar to the like the heat in our house. So you have a certain temperature in your house. Your thermostat says, okay, I register this temperature. And based on that temperature, it needs to be this other temperature. So it sends a signal to your furnace. And then your furnace Mm -hmm. says, okay, I'm going to make heat. Okay, so the heat is like your hormone. And so the more that heat raises, then the more the thermostat says, turn it down, and then the furnace turns off. And that's just how our hormones work, is the more we make of the hormone, the more our brain says, okay, shut it down. Now, something about cortisol that's interesting is cortisol has kind of that same negative uh, effect on the rest of our hormones, whether it's your other adrenal hormones, whether it's your thyroid, whether it's estrogen or testosterone, um, that cortisol and the corticotropin-releasing hormone that's made by our brain, those both tell all of those other hormones to stop being made. So when we have stress, we don't make our other hormones. And the reason for that is that, you know, when you're trying to escape danger, that's not the time to make babies. That's not the time to build new cells. It's not the time to digest our food. It's the time to run. So the more we live in that state of fight or flight, the more and the more we make that cortisol, the more the rest of our hormones are not going to function properly. It's a beautiful analogy, an easy way to understand that because everyone, you know, has some sort of experience with a thermostat, whether, you know, it's it's all day, you know, and or in the middle of the winter. But we, when we think about cortisol, how potent it is then. It's such a potent hormone because it's having a mass effect on so many important other ones. And it keeps going back to the brain, feeding back to the brain, as you were saying. It sounds like to me is cortisol has such a potent effect on all yeah. the other hormones. So naturally, the question is then, how do we know, because we're so well adapted to it, how do we know that we're in a sympathetic fight or flight state? What's happening in the body? What are the top symptoms of it? And what are some easy interventions we can do to bring that down? So some of the things that we might feel when we have chronic cortisol and, you know, that stress hormone upregulation, and these are things that a lot of us feel a lot of the time. We may feel anxious. We may feel like we can't sleep. So insomnia is a really big one. And one of the really key parts about that insomnia is that people wake up 
you know, somewhere in the 2.30 to 3.30 in the morning. I'm up at three in the morning and I don't know why. And so that's a, that's a big one. Also, over time, you may find that um, that can lead to just fatigue and, you know, just sort of like feeling tired and run out. But over time, we also may see other more uh, sort of insidious types of things like weight gain, especially weight gain around the middle. We might start to see blood sugar dysfunction because we have that cortisol spiking our blood sugar all the time. Um, and we, you know, we might see that we start to have some cardiovascular or some metabolic issues as well, even leading all the way into things like diabetes. Big picture, and, I, and so many people are suffering with this, right? Big picture is it seems to me that so many people have really high levels of cortisol or over time dropping down, but we're so exhausted in this state of hyperstress, hyperstress, hyperstress in this tension. Now, one thing that you mentioned and a lot of people ask me about is that waking up. Let's go back to that waking up in the middle of the night. Is there a yeah. certain time? You, I think you said three something. Is there a certain time we have to look out for? Because a lot of people are going, wait a minute, I do that. How do we know if we're waking up in the middle of the night that it's due to cortisol? Cortisol does all the things we already talked about, but we make cortisol at another time. And that time is when our blood sugar drops really low. So seven, eight hours after we've eaten, cortisol tends to spike because our brains and our bodies like to function um, and they need to be fed. So if you're eating dinner, say six o'clock at night, eight hours later is 2 a.m. And so 6, 7 p.m. by 2, 3 a.m., you're going to, especially if we have these sort of like trigger happy adrenals that, that we, you know, that are used to making a lot of stress hormones, they tend to really kick in at that 2 to 3 a.m. time, and then we're wide awake and our brain is like doing the, you know, the hamster wheel. So one thing that people can try that can really make a difference is to try uh, just having a little bit of protein snack right before bed. And that gives us, it's it's sort of a little bit diagnostic as well. You know, it gives us some information. If you can eat a protein snack at say 10 p.m., and it doesn't have to be a steak, this is like a handful of almonds or an apple with peanut butter or, you know, a little bit of a hard-boiled egg, something like that, something that's easy to digest, that's not going to sit there, but it's going to keep your blood sugar stable, then that will help that you sleep through the night a little bit better. And that's that's one easy way to see if that if the cortisol is actually an issue for you. Wow. So big symptom. If we're waking up in the middle of the night, two or three o'clock, we have to pay close attention to cortisol dysregularity and our cortisol imbalance. So let me let me ask you a question then. When we think about, okay, let's let's eat a protein snack and now we're sleeping through the night, then that's telling us, oh wait a minute, our cortisol is really imbalanced, correct? Yeah, I mean, it, it tells us that the insomnia is likely related to your stress hormones and cortisol. To, okay, so then that begs the next question is, how do we, as a people who are suffering with such tension, sympathetic, dominance, fight or flight, what are some cheap, easy interventions that would be really, really helpful for us? I'd like to talk a little bit about what we call our autonomic nervous system, because I think it's really important for your listeners to understand what that part of our sort of hormone system is. So the autonomic nervous system is the part of our nervous system that happens automatically, as opposed to the somatic part of your nervous system, which is like, I think I need to move my arm, so I move my arm, okay? 
So this controls things like your heartbeat and your digestion and the way your kidneys work and all these things that just magically happen without us knowing. Now, your autonomic nervous system has two main sections. It has that fight or flight, just what we've been talking about this whole time, and that's what we call sympathetic. On the other hand, it also has what we call parasympathetic, and parasympathetic is where we digest our food and we repair our body, okay? And so, you know, we can see that, that you know, dichotomy between the sympathetic where you have to, like, something has to happen right away for our survival versus that rest and repair part where our body has to actually, you know, sort of take in nutrients and rebuild. So when we are in sympathetic, when we're in that part of the autonomic nervous system, it shuts everything else down. So if we can get into our parasympathetic more frequently, then we're going to retrain our body to use that fight or flight, that adrenaline, that cortisol a little less often. Mm. So one of the places I really like to look at is sort of the place where our, our autonomic and our somatic nervous systems come together, and that's in our breath. Because breathing is something that happens no matter what. We're always going to breathe. But we can also breathe intentionally. We can breathe with, with the intention of bringing in that parasympathetic nervous system. So if we can take the time to even take five breaths and think about what's happening, just being aware and mindful of those breaths, that's huge. We can take it a step further and be really mindful about where that breath is going. So you can take a breath, you take a breath just into your lungs, and then you can take a breath down into your belly, and then you can take a breath that moves all of these muscles in the back of your back. And when we take those intentional breaths, it brings it even a little bit further. And then beyond that, I have a technique that, you know, you may have learned in a yoga class even, um, but there's a technique called box breathing that kind of brings it even a little more intentionally into that parasympathetic. And I can, I can tell you about that too if, you, if, if now is a good time. Now is a great time. We want, to, we want okay. all the hacks. Let us know. Okay. Oh, all the hacks. So box breathing is very simple and it's just, you know, we got four, our four corners. First, we breathe in, and we can do that now if you want. You breathe in for one, two, three, four. You hold at the top of your breath for one, two, three, four. You exhale, two, three, four, and then you hold, two, three, four. And if you do this four or five times in a row, it really helps your parasympathetic nervous system to come in and engage and relax all of those other hormones that you might be making that could be keeping you in that stress. And that way, we can have our digestion working properly. We can have our thyroid hormone doing what it needs to do. Our reproductive hormones are going to do what they need to do. It makes our cycles better. It decreases the number of hot flashes you may be having. You know, it, it really can make a, a really profound difference just to check in with that parasympathetic multiple times during the day. I love that. And it takes, what, one minute? You know, two minutes max? You can even I do mean, it if, if you, you really want to get way. into it, you could go for three. But yeah. 
You can go for three. Okay, there you go. See, like <laughs> three oh, minutes. Three minutes. <laughs> Right? In a row. That's three minutes of scrolling. Yeah, you know, like we can, exactly. we can totally integrate that, right? Yeah. So, and, and even like if you're suffering with digestive issues, you can bring mindfulness before you eat just by doing that box breathing for three minutes and then eat your food, maybe without a screen. Oh, that is maybe huge. Maybe without talking it to makes, someone. Yeah, it, it makes such a profound difference, difference for for the way that you digest and utilize your nutrients, for you to just do the simple things, sit down when you eat. That's number one. Chew your food. I, I'm always surprised at how many of my patients, they don't even take the time to chew. Just chew your food. And the third thing that's really that can be really profound is actually just thinking about how this food is nourishing and bringing life to you. And you know, regardless of what you're putting in your body, if you can take that time to really check in with the intent of that food and what it's going to do, it makes such a difference. Mm-hmm. I agree. I, that's something that I've been integrating lately. Um, you know, so it's it just so happens that we want to like be intentional with our food, and then the next meal we're just running around and you know checking our emails and, and driving or talking to someone and. I really, really highly recommend everyone to be mindful for your next meal and just see how different your body feels. And I love the part about gratitude and just bringing awareness like, okay, this food came from the earth, hopefully, (laughs) you know, and we're not getting it from a bag, but it came from the earth, right? And there's a lot of uh, love and intention that came just to get it on to the plate in front of you. So that totally changes the signals from your brain and your digestive system. And you're so much more in that parasympathetic state. And then you're utilizing, as you said, the nutrients, right? You're absorbing the nutrients better versus being in the sympathetic, correct? That's absolutely, that's right. And honestly, I mean, I love, I love to cook. I love to garden. I love to create food. I I am in love with food, but I would rather have you sit down and give love to whatever you got from the drive-through Inst- or I would rather have you do that than be running around, you know, with your brain in a hundred places and not thinking about mm-hmm. that beautifully crafted food that you have in front of you. Mm-hmm. Obviously, yeah, if you and, can and have beautifully crafted food and sit down, that's great. Oh, beautiful, beautiful, and, and you know, and and that's that's a great goal for us, right? Maybe once a day, beautifully crafted food. If not once every two days to sit down and have a beautifully crafted meal, make it sort of ceremonial, have an intention behind it, bring awareness to it, and then eat the food. First of all, I promise you, your digestive s- symptoms that you had won't be going on and you'll feel good. You'll feel connected to your food. And that's sort of like, in many ways, that's the way that we're connected to earth. We're connected to nature when we're not in nature through food. So mindful that's eating, right. whew, that is up. That is up there for me big time. So I'm, I'm so happy we share yeah. that passion. Yeah. Um, yeah. And if so, you can, so, if you so, can go the next step and like share it with people and and smile and talk and listen and laugh, then you're like, you're way up here. Yeah, we had Zach Bush on here and he was, he really was so passionate about talking about the importance of sitting down at a table with your loved ones, having a meal and connecting because he said it's an opportunity to fall in love with the people in your life again and again and again. If you're present with them and you're present with the food, it's inevitable that you'll feel connected to the people. And I was like, 
that's some powerful information. I was like, after that point, I was like, listen, if if and when I have kids, we are absolutely going to be at the table all the time. We're going to connect. Ain't no phones. No phones allowed. You leave them in your bedrooms or you're on punishment. <laughs> and we're going to be connecting, 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 connecting. That's, that's the beautiful thing. I love that. Um, love it. So, Doc, I know that you do a lot of work around something that I'm so passionate about. When I, when I had my white coat on, I did my residency in oncology. I loved working with uh, breast cancer, seeing a lot of women with breast cancer. What shocked me when I started my residency was that all of a sudden I started seeing women who were 20, 21, 25, at the time my age, 30. And I was going, what is happening? Wait a minute. I thought this was a disease that we saw as women reach menopause and onward. Um, and my mother died of breast cancer when I was younger. And, and I know that you're a survivor and we'll talk about that. But uh, I want to bring awareness to this. It's not something that you wait for and, and go, okay, I'm going to protect myself now that I'm 40 or 50. For all the viewers and listeners, if you're 20 years old, now's the time to start protecting the breast. And we're going to go into this. We're going to go into all the details. First of all, how common are you seeing breast cancer in, in younger clients versus now what we thought it was older and older and older? I, d I don't know the epidemiology of, you know, the stats, but I know I see a lot of premenopausal women in my practice. And I, you know, I was fully uh, still having lots of cycles and, and, you know, I was, I was 44 when I was diagnosed with breast cancer. Um, and yeah, I see it a lot. And, uh, you know, I think it's multifactorial um, why that's happening, but it is certainly uh, important, as you said, to just be thinking about your breast health um, from an early age. From an early age. Okay. So when we think about breast cancer, you said multifactorial. What are some of the things that we know are connected to breast cancer? So, you know, obviously genetics is probably the first thing that we think about. So if you have breast cancer in your family, um, whether or not you know of like the BRCA gene, um, if you have that in your family, that's something that should just like be on your radar. Now let's chat about something crucial. That is omega-3s. You know I'm all about keeping clean and pure when it comes to products as well as food on my plate. But when it comes to supplements, right? We have to make sure we have the best of the best, but especially when it comes to omega-3s. And, and I really mean it. Omega-3s are some of the most adulterated supplements that exist out there. And a lot of companies aren't doing it right. We need omega-3s for our heart, for our brain, for our eye health. You might not be getting enough nutritionally. When it comes to Peori, it's a quality brand, not only just with omegas across their whole line. They're extremely transparent. Every batch undergoes rigorous testing against over 200 contaminants, and you could check the results for yourself. And that's one of my favorite things. You can scan the QR code and look at the batch that is right in front of you that is on your shelf or on your counter, and you can see the results for this quality testing. Puris O3 Ultra Pure Fish Oil delivers a potent dose of EPA and DHA without any unnecessary extras. Now, Puri is offering 20% off of their O3 Ultra Pure Fish Oil, the one that I take every single morning, and all their fantastic products to you, the Heal Thyself listener. That's 20% off even the already discounted subscription price. I want you to go to Puri.com. Use my promo code DRG. That's P-U-O-R-I.com slash DRG to take care of your health with some of the best omegas out there by Puri. These days, 
These days, it seems like everyone is carrying on a beverage, whether it's soda or flavored water or kombucha or coffee or tea. But not all beverages are created equal when it comes to quality and health benefits. That is why I become obsessed with Peaks Sun Goddess Matcha. I've been using this for, it's one of the first supplements I really invested in. It's four years ago, probably. And it's not just any old matcha powder. We're talking organic ceremonial grade matcha tea that has been meticulously screened for pesticides, heavy metals, mold, and even radioactive isotopes. Peak takes no shortcuts. Their matcha is cultivated by ninth degree tea masters in Kagoshima, Japan, using century old traditions. Their plants are shaded for 35% longer than usual to maximize the production of vital compounds like L-theanine for calm, steady energy and chlorophyll for its detoxifying anti-aging properties. I start every morning with a frothy cup of sun goddess matcha, not just for energizing my body, you know, we all want to get that caffeine kick, yeah, okay, but for the amazing gut health, metabolism boosting, and antioxidant benefits. The phytonutrients nurture my digestive system, the EGCG compounds help my body burn calories efficiently, and the chlorophyll gives my skin the awesome reading. You see I'm glowing right now, right? That's because of the matcha. There's perfectly proportioned packets that are easy to mix with water whenever I need to pick me up, so easy to make a consistent self-care ritual. Peak is offering you, the Heal Thyself listener, 15% off of their sun goddess matcha, plus a free beaker and a rechargeable frother when you go to peaklife.com slash DRG. They're so confident that you're going to love it. There's even a 30-day money-back guarantee. No code at checkout. Just go to P-I-Q-U-E-L-I-F-E.com slash DRG. You're going to get 15% off plus all those freebies. Um, so that's one piece. We know that there are things, you know, that there are specific types of diets, you know, there's, um, you know, when things are a lot more inflammatory, that tends to uh, be associated more highly with breast cancer. Um, obviously, things like drinking and smoking, um, you know, substances tend to, uh, you know, be, be uh, predispose you to that. We want to make sure that you're exercising. One of the big things that I encourage all of my female patients to do, um, whether they're seeing me for hormones or for breast cancer, is to get your vitamin D levels checked um, because vitamin D levels under 35 are associated with higher risk of breast cancer. Um, and so that's like a really easy just like number to keep in mind. Keep my vitamin D level above 35. That's a big one. I remember when I was in practice, I, I was shocked how low vitamin D was for so many women. Yeah. And I was like, whoa, this is the red zone here. We're going to pull you out and you need to keep it here. And, and here are some yeah. interventions that you can do. Um, and one thing that I was always passionate about was seeing how um, environmental chemicals affected your hormones and yep. uh, ones that were even associated with breast cancer. Things like BPA, plasticizers, yep. phthalates. Um, it, how are you doing any testing on these sort of chemicals? And if so, are you seeing them pretty pretty often or are you just recommending here? Are the things you need to stay away from and let's just do it that way? What do you find is really uh, the, the connecting point between the environmental exposures and breast cancer? Well, you know, I think there is a fine line that we have to sort of, um, that we have to thread between digging to the bottom, figuring out what's going on for folks in a really profound way and living in fear because mm -hmm. no matter what, we are all living in this world, right? And so we're all exposed to stuff all the time. And so I do some testing for um, for environmental um, chemicals, you know, different organic types of chemicals. That is something that I do look at for patients. Um, 
But then, you know, once you have that data, we have to figure out whether it's going to be useful to us. So with a lot of my patients, you know, a lot of what we do is to make good decisions around, you know, drinking enough water to make sure that you're getting rid of things that you don't need and eating foods that are good for your liver and your digestive tract so we know that our elimination processes are sound. And for especially for our my you know hormone positive breast cancer patients, we also um, you know there are a lot of different sort of natural substances that we can use that help to clear extra estrogens, especially those that we may be exposed to from things like plastics um, and other you know sort of environmental things. And then just doing smart things like don't microwave your food in a plastic container. And, you know, put your food in glass instead. You know, don't wrap things up in plastic wrap. Put them in something that is um, going to be neutral, that you're not going to be getting that estrogen exposure. Um, one of the things that, you know, I've heard recently was uh, another doc who was finding that people who are using Keurig machines, you know, with the little capsules, mm -hmm. um, that their estrogen levels were quite high because you're getting that, like, daily dose of superheated plastic. Um, and so, you know, just, just being like aware of what's around you, I think can be maybe just as useful as doing testing. I just, I always want to make sure because survivors tend to be pretty hyper aware of their, um, of their health in so many ways. And there, there can be a lot of anxiety around it. I want to make sure that we're not digging so deep that we're right. living in a, like a fear enclosed box. If that makes sense. Right. You, if, if, then you're living in a vacuum at some point, right? And there's nothing around you, just, you know, just some food coming in and out. That's it. Bubble, <laughs> That's right. bubble boy, bubble girl. So yeah. um, you mentioned some things that clear out that excess estrogen. And a lot of w women and men are being exposed to high levels of estrogen, xenoestrogens. What are some of your favorite ways to clear out that excess estrogen, even for people who haven't been diagnosed with breast cancer? What are some really yeah. important things that are within arm's reach that we can start doing? Yeah. So some of the simplest things we can do are to just like make sure you're pooping every day. Like, you know, that's easy because, um, you know, that's when our body has those different types of chemicals, our liver will convert them into something that we can get rid of. A lot of times things are that are cholesterol-based, like estrogen, um, they're going to they're gonna come out via our bile. So if we can eat things that are going to trap bile instead of having you reabsorb them, and those are things like psyllium and flax and chia, you know, those soluble fibers that are going to trap that bile so you can get rid of it, that's super easy. I have a lot of my patients do what I call the morning drink, where you put, you know, a couple tablespoons of flax meal and just maybe a little bit of juice so it tastes okay and a big glass of water drink that down, then follow it with a second glass of water um, with a, a lemon squeezed in it. And when you do that morning drink, one, you put in all that soluble fiber, which tends to bulk the stool, trap that, um, trap anything that's coming from the bile. And then that lemon juice helps your digestive tract get going and then you get rid of it really effectively. So that's a really super easy first thing that people can do. Oh, and then the that. second thing that I think is useful is there's, um, you know, lots of chemicals in our crucifer family, um, particularly, you know, things like broccoli and Brussels sprouts and kale. And those also um, really help with clearing that effective um, transformation and clearance of estrogens. 
Mm. Some of my favorite stuff. I found broccoli sprouts to be so powerful for this. But I love that morning drink. It is so cheap. Uh, accessible, easy. I mean, it's something that we can all use, especially because we're so exposed to so many of these xenoestrogens, those things that mimic estrogen in our body. So um, that's right. It's right within arms. Yeah, if 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 you if you have high amounts of estrogen, if you suspect, if your doctor diagnoses you, start doing this. Start bringing in these foods to your diet that are really powerful, helping your liver detoxify these high levels yeah. of estrogen. When your cycles are getting to a point where you're having really heavy, really crampy cycles, because what that tells me is that your estrogen and your progesterone levels aren't balanced relative to one another. So that's a key. You know, when you're seeing that you're having like you know, heavier and crampier than you think they should be. That's something to think about. Sometimes that estrogen is a little butt on the high side. Mm. And, and how do you like, uh, is there any drinks or beverages that you find or, or concoctions aside from the morning drink, like a green tea or are there any juices or any smoothies or anything that that, that you can think of? Because I know you're in a food, right? And I know that, that, that this is this is where your heart is. Uh, is there anything that you can think of that can be like an at-home specialty drink aside from that morning one? Well, so I do have a little uh, kind of... Th- Thriving Survivors, that's the name of my of my uh, breast cancer practice is Thriving Survivors. And I have a little Thriving Survivors drink that I like um, for women. And what I do with that is I either have them make sort of a golden milk, which is turmeric based, or I have them make um, like a green tea. You can do matcha based where you do, you know, about a half quarter to a half a teaspoon of turmeric or matcha powder. And then I have them do about a half a cup of soy milk. And soy milk we can talk a little bit about because I know that there are people who have questions about soy. Um, mm-hmm. And then I usually have them add something yummy in there, whether it's a little bit of cardamom, a little bit of cinnamon, probably, you know, half a teaspoon to a teaspoon of honey, and then put it all in your steamer. You know, if you have a little, you know, whether you have like a hand steamer or a little one of those things, steam it up and it gets all frothy. And I love that drink for a few reasons. The green tea... Um, green tea is is associated, you know, green tea consumption is associated with lower rates of breast cancer, lower rates of recurrence. Um, and turmeric is a very good anti-inflammatory, which also um, can be really helpful for helping to prevent breast cancer breast, and breast cancer recurrence. And then the soy milk, soy has actually, it got a bad name for a long time, but there's actually a lot of data out there showing that soy is actually um, preventative for breast cancer. And I think that has to do with the phytoestrogen content. Um, And so you can make yourself this like lovely kind of luscious, creamy drink that actually is, is also a great preventative. I want to make it myself right now. This is, it sounds so good right on my alley. I (laughs) I love it. I got to, I got to do a chef's kiss to this. This sounds so delicious, right? Um, can I can I ask you then? I, I and I, I know you touched on soy, but the, okay. First of all, you you cleared up about the breast cancer, but does does soy disrupt your hormones? Great question. So soy and you know some of these other um, phyto, what we call phytoestrogen uh, containing foods. What a phytoestrogen does is it it does mimic estrogen in the body, and but it, it's so. The way that estrogen works in our in our body is we so if we have a cell 
and estrogen comes, estrogen is a growth promoter. So estrogen will bind to the cell and tell it to grow or to replicate. Now, this is not like an on-off switch. It's like a dimmer switch, okay? So it can be really low or it can be really high. And some of those xenoestrogens, like the, the things from our environment, is like high on the dimmer switch. And a phytoestrogen from something like soy is like low on the dimmer switch. And so when you use something like soy or another phytoestrogen in your diet, what happens is you may actually ha have some blocking of those estrogen receptors that may otherwise have been, you know, gone up to that high level. And so, you know, the protectiveness comes from you're getting a, a much lower amount of estrogen stimulation when we, you use something like soy. There you go. That what was it? What, one minute, and and you know, it clears up so many, so much controversy um, that we think about, and 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 that's that's the way that I try to explain it to people. But they're like, no, it disrupted my hormones, and I'm like, well, maybe there's other things going on. Um, it, it does affect so, your hormones, and 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 just like to interrupt you for a second, um, one of the things that can be nice about soy is that when women are survivors, you know, we we tend to be uh, prescribed, you know medications that are going to specifically block hormones. And so you end up with, again, like the anxiety and the hot flashes and the night sweats and the insomnia. And soy can actually help with some of that because you're giving yourself a little bit of that like safe sort of estrogen stimulation. And it can actually help with some of those hormone um, symptoms that you may be having. Really powerful. I mean, we we went over we went over morning drink. We went over some of the foods that we can eat. We had a fantastic creamy drink. We answered the soy. Are there any other foods that are really important for our hormones that we're missing here? Hormone pr protective foods. Well, one of the things that I do see in my practice is that you know different dietary trends are you know they're always coming and going, but you know being. Right. Um, you know, plant-based eating right now is very, very popular, and it's popular for a lot of really solid reasons. I do see a lot of women, however, that when we take out all of the animal product from our diets, our cholesterol levels fall. And so, um, and then you, again, you end up with like the hot flashes and the night sweats and the fatigue. And cholesterol is what our, you know, our estrogen and progesterone and testosterone and, and cortisol, all of those are made of, of cholesterol. So for a, quite a few women, I have found over time that some amount of animal protein actually is useful um, because when we don't get any of those, um, when we don't get any cholesterol in our diet, it becomes really hard to make the hormones that we need so we feel good in the long term. Thank you. Thank you for saying that and, and, and clearing that up too. So, um, Doc, I know you have the uh, Breast Cancer Survivor business. You mentioned it. What, what was the name of it? Thriving Survivors. Thriving Survivors. Okay. And, and do you also work with women who've been diagnosed with breast cancer or men? I, I do. I, I, um, I specialize in helping women tolerate treatment. Um, and heal faster and prevent recurrence. So for instance, if you're going through chemotherapy, I have a program that you can follow that has very specific dietary advice and there's some you know, um, lifestyle and supplementation stuff that you can do um, to help to, so chemo isn't 
quite so rotten when you have to go through it. Um, right, and then you know, right. I also have a, a program for recovering from um, from treatment as well. And then again, just you know, making sure that you're staying healthy for the long term. And and do you work with uh, hormone disruption, uh, men and women, or just women? Uh, what does your population look like for? Oh, absolutely. Just, I've been I've been working with yeah. yeah I you know I've been I've been specializing in women's hormones for about twenty years. Um, and I uh, many many of my patients do not have breast cancer. They're just folks who have questions about getting their hormones balanced. Fantastic. So you yeah. heard it there, right? So if you're worried about your hormones, we got a doc here. If 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 she's piqued your interest and you pique mine, right? We talked about a lot of really good stuff. Whether or not you have breast cancer or hormone disruption, this is important, important stuff to get a hold of now as we age to get a hold of now so we set ourselves up for some really, really, really healthy, thriving years onward. So uh, doc, where do we find you? So you can um, you can find me at thriving dash survivors.com. And that's my breast cancer um, uh, handle. And then you can also find me at the Golden Naturopathic Clinic. That's my that's my brick and mortar uh, practice. In Colorado? In Colorado. Take so I see folks from all over the place. I love it. All right. So there you go. Yep. Yeah, we have we have access to you. I love that. So thank you so much. I, I really appreciate your knowledge. I really appreciate your passion for all things hormones, breast cancer, but very specifically, I love it about the passion on food. I see it come out of you. You, you are a foodie. I feel it. And thank you for bringing us back to that practice of connecting to our body before we eat. It's so valuable. And I really highly recommend that and everything else you heard on this podcast. So thank you so much. And we'll have you on very soon. All right. Hey, thanks so much. I, I really enjoy your show. 